0: I am always excited to kick off another book of the Bible in which we will be going through. Um, This is a series that, as you guys have heard, as we have prayed, we are talking about being in Him. What does it look like to be in Christ? This sermon series is basically focusing in on what does it look like for God's people to fully embrace, to fully embrace the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Right. What we what we've done is that we've broken up this series into basically three parts. Right? The book of Ephesians is broken up into six chapters, and we've taken every part. Um, we took we've taken every um two every part and broken it up into two chapters. So part one, we'll be going over chapters one and two, where we've we've named that part of the book of Ephesians. We are his workmanship. In him, we are his workmanship. We get that from Ephesians chapter two. In 11, where it says that we are God's poema, or chapter t- verse 10, where we are the poema of God, his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. But then in chapters 3 and chapter 4, we named that part, and we'll be um, going through that in for a four-week period. And then we talked about what it looks like to be his manifold wisdom, his manifold wisdom, that we see that in Ephesians chapter 3, 10. And then finally, the last four weeks, now we're, in the, now we're in about July, we're going to be going through chapters 5 and chapter 6. And in chapters 5 and chapter 6, we'll talk about we are his children. We are his children. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, 1, and it talks about being imitators of God, right? And so what we're doing, and again, if you're following, the next four weeks, we'll be going through chapters 1 and 2. Then we're going to take a break. In chapter, then we're gonna celebrate Mother's Day, right? And then we're gonna look at chapters three and four. Then we're gonna take another break, and we're gonna really celebrate Father's Day because you know fathers be getting the short end of the stick on in this thing, right? But we're gonna celebrate Father's Day, right? And then we're gonna after that come back and celebrate. Um, and then kick it off with the last four weeks. So that's basically the next um, 14 weeks that we'll be in. But in, in here, we're gonna talk about what does it mean to be in him, in him. So the question is why? Why do we feel like this series? Why did the elders determine that we are doing this series? Because um, ultimately it, it comes down to, right? What does it mean for us to embrace all that we have in him? You know, I think oftentimes many of us, we don't realize what's happening or what has happened to us when we put our faith in Christ, right? It kind of reminds me of a story um, that was heralded in the San Francisco Chronicle. The um, the headline was named Garbage Mary, Garbage Mary. And Garbage Mary, basically, she was um, picked up at a shopping mall in the Dar- um in Delray. It was actually, she was in Delray Beach, Florida. But she appeared to be like a popper or a derelict. She appeared to not have it all together. Neighbors told stories of her scrounging around and, scr- and scrounging through garbage cans and um and you know trash bins and food trying to find food and if you were to go to her two bedroom apartment, you would see mounds and mounds of trash literally when the police finally went to her her, her home, there were literally pathways that were um of um, uh, you know, within her apartment next to mounds of garbage and trash all around her. And even the only place that there was even a place to sit down because there was trash everywhere was in the kitchen where there was a couple of chairs without trash on there. You see, what we finally find out is that um, they identify this garbage Mary as the daughter of a well-to-do lawyer. A well to do lawyer at a, and a bank director in Illinois. She had died several years earlier. But in addition to finding out that about garbage marriage, they also found um, a lot of things as they started unraveling some of, the tra- uh, some of the trash. What they realized was that, like in the trash, they found mobile oil stock that was worth $400,000. They found stock certificates. US, for U.S. Steel, Uni, Uniroyal, other places that they found. They, pa- they found many different large bank accounts, passbooks for eight large bank accounts. Basically, what, what we found out and what they found out is that Garbage Mary was actually a millionaire who was living like a derelict. She had untold wealth at her disposal, and yet she scrounged around the garbage rather than live in her inheritance. You see, last week, as I did a quick survey, and this is just like my own personal survey, I did a quick survey on just people preaching last week. And, you know, we came back and we celebrated the resurrection. We got a chance to see seven people baptized. And we got a chance to see what is it like to proclaim that, what it looks like to be in him. We got a chance to celebrate and to, to praise the Lord together. And as I was even going through yesterday, last week, and I just started looking at, like, what are pastors preaching on? What are people preaching on when it, when it comes to this resurrection? And one of the things that I've recognized that it seemed like there was an imbalance in terms of talking about the resurrection saying and really asking the congregation the question, do you really believe? Do you really believe? And it has felt like over and over again, I kept hearing about believing in the power of the resurrection. And it was just like, it's one of those things that we come every Easter, we, we come and we celebrate, we come to church on Good Friday, we celebrate on the resurrection on Sunday, we sing songs, we do or we do the thing, right? But, but the question that is at the heart of so many people, especially post COVID and post all the, the different things that we've been going through is this, the question is this, I really believe God is asking Do you really believe as believers? And the reality is this, is that although if we do believe in the power of a resurrected God, that we have untold wealth at our disposal. But the question becomes is why do so many of us live like derelicts? We live like garbage, Mary. You see, and so what Paul, I really believe Paul in the, book of Eph- in the book of Ephesians is writing this letter because I think the church of Ephesus is going through similar reality, was going through a similar reality that the church in America is going through. And really asking us the question, do you really believe? And if you don't, let me encourage you what it means to be in him. That throughout this book, we're going to see that title or that phrase in him mentioned over 27 times in these six chapters. In chapter one, he just lays the foundation in in verses three through 14. He says 11 times or I'm sorry, 17 times. Dang, I think it was 14 times. It was one of those times. Go fact check me and count. But 10 to 20 times it is in there talking about what does it mean to be in him? What does it mean to be in him, right? And Paul wants us to know. And today he kicks off this passage and he kicks off this book with the longest run-on sentence in all of the Bible. That from chapter chapter 1, verse 3, all the way to verse 14 is one sentence in the Greek. And I really believe what we are seeing that this run on sentence is a passionate sentence that the Apostle, the Apostle Paul comes out and says, I really desire for you to get what it means to be in him. Stop living like garbage Mary. Stop living like a derelict. Stop living like you don't have access to power. And you see this run-on sentence and this passion that comes out of Paul. And then it just kind of ends out. And we're not going to talk about it this week. But next week, he just kind of goes. And he was just like, man, he like, I want to get this out so bad. He just begins to start praying. He said, I just pray that you guys would just get this. What does it mean to be in him? That he just says, like, I, like, my words are not enough to convince you. I'm just going to pray that God would open up your hearts, that would open up your minds to be what it means to be in him. But in this large run-on sentence, this passionate sentence that Paul is starting off to the church of Ephesus, he gives us three parts for us to look at. Three parts that he talks about. And these three parts, he first sets us up with the summary sentence in verse three. And then he goes in verses four through six, he gives us what does it look like for God the Father who chooses us to adopt us. if then he moves on, if he talks about in verses um, 6 or 7 through 12, and he talks about God the Son who redeems us to unites us. And then in, in verses 13 and 14, he then goes on and he says, God the Holy Spirit who seals us and guarantees us. And throughout it all, basically, he comes out with just summarizing the very thing in the very first thing. And he says that if you understood that, you would cry out and you would understand verse three. And it says this, blessed, blessed is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens in Christ. I don't know about you, but I did some studying on that word in the Greek. What every means and what it means is every. It meant the totality. It meant all. That means basically what he is saying is that God has given us everything that he did. He did not hold back when giving us blessing, when when pouring out spiritual resources for us to connect with. He said he has blessed us in the, blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens, in Christ. And he uses that word in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means to find your identity in Christ. It means to be baptized in Christ. It means that to say what Paul said, that I no longer live, but I am now to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's him that shines. Right, we, we talk about here at the church, we talk about what does it mean to be a gospel-centered believer. And to be a gospel-centered believer, we, we say that it means, that to be a gospel-centered believer, it means that we have both understand our identity in Christ, both individually and collectively, but we are also fluent in the gospel. That we know that the gospel speaks more to this life after death. It's not just the get-out-of-hell-free card. That God is card. What does it look like for us to be in him. And what does it mean that he has given us every spiritual blessing? And so really where we're breaking this down, what I'm going to do is break this down into two parts. One, I want us to show how he just explained to us every spiritual blessing. And that's part one. And then the second part of it is I want us to go and talk about here. Here are five ways to continue to cultivate hope in what Christ has given us. All right. The first part There's three points. Basically, God the Father chooses us to adopt us. God the Son redeems us to unite us. And God the Holy Spirit seals us so that to guarantee us. All right. So again, verse four, he he kicks it off. And we say this first point, God the Father chooses us to adopt us. Verse four, he says, for he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. In love before him, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved. And so right here, what we see is this first thing that God the Father, he is both father to um, all believers, that we we don't just get saved, we get saved into a family. And that family that we get saved into is that is which God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ that we are saved. And, and in that salvation, what did we see at the very foundation of it is that we have a, a father, the heavenly father, a sovereign father, a one who knows all things. But, and he comes and he says he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. What, you know, as we begin to reflect on just God's choosing, One of the things that i recognize is that God, who is omniscient and omnipresent, knew when he chose me, he knew my life story. He wasn't like, I'm choosing you, but I'm kind of having hope that this is going to turn out good. He knew exactly how my life was going to turn up. He knew my failures. He knew my shortcomings. He knew the good things that I was going to do and the bad things that I was going to do. He knew it all. And guess what? Before the foundation, he says, I want him. On my team. I want her on my team. That from the very beginning, he said, He chooses us for the foundation. He knew your life, but he has decided to choose from eternity past. And not only did he decide to choose you, he says, I'm going to unleash every spiritual blessing that I have in the heavenly realms. And I'm going to allow you to identify in the family of God that is connected with my son. And so in here we see this, right? And the reason why he tells us is that he is going to take broken people and he's going to present us as holy and blameless to God. And what I love that is as holy and blameless to God. He didn't say he was going to present us holy and blameless to one another, but holy and blameless to God. You see, how does he help us to be holy and blameless to God, but not to one another? You see, there's this person in work that we're going to see in the son that he presents to us. And that, that when we come before him, he doesn't look at our sins. He doesn't look at our transgressions. He doesn't look at our imperfections. He doesn't see the bad things. All he sees is his son he sees his love for you see God the father before before in eternity past made a commitment that says I'm choosing you but what I love about the passage is, like I'm not just choosing you to save you I'm not just uh, this freeing you from guilt that's not what this is about he says I'm choosing you to adopt you I'm making you a part of my family So, you know what? All those bad things that you do, it's gonna be a a poor reflection on me. But guess what? I'm still choosing you. Because you're mine. You know, all those things that, like, all those times that you feel ungrateful for all that I've done for me, even choosing you. Guess what? I'm still choosing you. Because you're mine. And I'm not gonna just free you from guilt. This is like Christianity is not just a guilt free life, It's it's a life of adoption. And I'll never forget had the privilege of seeing this a small piece of this with being able to adopt a couple of my children. And I remember Angie and I, we, we, we just made the decision. We was like, we want to go. We want to, to adopt. And I remember in that time, we was just like, God, we, we don't know exactly like who, but we had a couple of prayer requests and what, you know, the type of person that we want. And so even before we were praying for the type of people that we that we wanted. We prayed specifically for two biracial kids that were younger than my oldest son at the time, you know? And so we went through that process and, you know, we went through and we went for months just waiting and praying and asking the Lord. And I'll never forget that there was a day that came that we got a call from one of Angie's parents, or not parents, yeah, actually Angie's parents and said, hey, there's someone that's in your family down the line that we've never met before, but they had, they're maybe losing their kids. And I remember, you know, us saying, it was like, you know, and so, but why don't you call them? And so we reached out to them and says, hey, we're just in the process of adopting and we're, we're looking for people. And they was just like, no, you know, they're gonna get them back or they're just going through some hard times and so on and so forth. And we was like, okay, well, we'll just know that we're praying. And so we began, we kept on praying about, literally about six, seven months later, we got another call from them. And they were like, hey, you know, are you still looking? It was like, we've been praying. We've been waiting, you know? And they came out, there were two biracial boys that came, that, that went in. So we started getting involved in their lives and we didn't know. And so even on the date of the court, we went to the court and we didn't know if the, the, um, the judge was going to end rights. And so we were there. And it was one of the saddest but also most grateful moments in my life when he ended, right, paternity and maternity leave. But then he made the statement, is there anybody in here that are willing to be with them? And Angie and I was willing to say, yes, we choose them. We want to adopt them. And I remember like going through and from that time, we were able to bring them home. And it's like through all the time and just praying for them and being with them. And then even at the, at the very end, I remember when that, the day we were online and because we were, they were in another state and we were online. And I remember the judge making a statement. He says, hey, you know what? I want you to know this. And he says, in America, you can write out your natural born children out of your will. He says, but according to law, if you choose to make this adoption, they are forever permanently in your will. There's nothing that can take them away. And it was at that moment that I was able to see what God was saying, where he says, the father chooses us and he adopts us. It's not that he made a mistake. He said, no, I am choosing you from eternity past and I'm going to keep you in my family into eternity future that you are in me that you're king's kids that there's nothing you can do there's nothing that I that he can do that can write us out of his will that we are in him we are in him. God the Father adopts us. He chooses us and adopts us. Why? And how does he do that in verse six? I love it that in verse six he says, To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. He lavished on us. And if we were just to simply read the words, that we see this idea what does it mean that God to lavish? His grace on us. Just listen to verse, you know, in 7 and 8 and 9, right? It says, in him, we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together, both things in heaven and on things on earth. In him, we also have received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might put, um, bring praise to his glory. You see, in here, we see that transition. God the Father chose us to adopt us. And how did he do that? God the Son came and he redeemed us to unite us. And God didn't just kind of say, hey, what does it take? God says, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking the bank. I'm breaking the bank. And he says he's lavished on us, his beloved son. He, according to the riches of his grace, he richly poured out in there. And that's a couple of key words. I mean, let me get kind of seminarian for you for a little bit right? There's a couple of key words in there. That word redeemed, it doesn't get to the core of really what we're saying. In the core, you don't really get it. You won't really understand it. Basically, that word redeemed is in the Greek word is ex agarazzo What ex means is that that word means that God, he says, is the word that it says like he's basically, he's cornered the market. He's cornered the market. He he, he purchased us. He's redeemed us. He's cornered it. Basically, what he's saying is, it's sort of like, let's just imagine, like if we were to talk about toothpaste. What Jesus did, he says, listen, not only am I going to go buy all the toothpaste on all the shelves, I'm going to buy all the companies that produce toothpaste. And not only am I going to buy all the companies that produce toothpaste, I'm going to buy all the materials and the ingredients that you use to make toothpaste. I am going to, ex agarazzo, I'm going to corner the market on this. And this is the reason why when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes through the Father except through me because God cornered the market through his Son. He's redeemed us. He's redeemed us. He cornered the market for us. He bought it all. For us. You see, these words are not just meant to just go kind of go flippantly by. And we just read Paul and say, like, do you get it? Do you understand that he's pouring it all out for you? He redeemed us. But it's like, okay, God, what did you redeem us for or from? And how did you redeem us? And then I love it how he goes on. He says he redeemed us as a plan in verse 10 for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, to bring everything to Christ. You see, God the Father chooses us to adopt us. God the Son redeems us, not just to be, say that we're redeemed, but He redeems us to unite us. He redeems us to unite us. And what does that mean, that He unites us? That we see that there's a unity that we have. And that Paul is going to go over throughout this book and, and, and throughout Ephesians. And it's talking about you don't get just saved just to get saved. You get saved and you get brought into a family. That you are now reconciled. Reconciled to God and you are reconciled to one another. That we come and we are a part of his family. That in everything... That is the, the beauty of His grace. And this is again the reason why, when we sing hallelujah, that we're saying that we are proclaiming that God lavished His grace on us through the redemption of His Son to unite us together to sing our hallelujah together. That we're in unity, that we're in one accord praising God. That we see that. And in that, he says, not only has he agorazzo us, if we basically, there's another word in there that talks about he has propitiated. And that word to propitiate means that he satisfied the wrath of God. He took our place. You see, God wasn't just like, hey, you know, all right, forget it. I know everybody's perfect. No one's perfect. Everybody kind of messes up. No, that's not how God is because God has an attention. God is a a loving God, and he doesn't want to punish us, but he is also a perfect God, and he has to punish sin. And he has this tension within himself, right? And so what does he do? He knows that we are not able, that our works are like filthy rags, so he sends his son, he lavishes his son, and he puts all of the wrath that was supposed to be on you and me, and he propitiated. He satisfied the wrath of God and he put all of his wrath that he had for you and I because of our sinful ways and he puts it on his son. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. So when the enemy or when the devil or when even our flesh tries to convict us, basically we can just point to the son. We can point to our mediator. That, he, that, that in First John, he says, listen, if you say you don't have sin, you lie. And if you say, if, you, if you're just wilding out, the truth is not in you. He says, what are we supposed to do with our sins? He says, if you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, he will cleanse us for all unrighteousness. He says in verse 2, chapter 2 of verse 1, he says, because he is our advocate. All he does is sit at the right hand of the father as the devil continues to accuse us. He's sitting right next to him. and says, but I died for that. But I I, I died for that. That's on me. He keeps taking the hit for you and I, for our transgressions, because we're in him. You see, Paul is saying, like, you got to get it. God, the father, he chooses us. He adopts us. God, the son, he redeems us. He ex agarazzo us. He propitiated our sins for us. He did it all for us so that we can be united, not solely with him. Yes, of course, with him, but also with one another. That he redeems us to unite us. But then we finally see God, the Holy Spirit. He seals us and guarantees us. He's like, well, how do I know? How do I know if I'm a part of that? the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit bears witness, crying out, Abba. It's that thing. It's that person that's within you that all of a sudden, things that you used to do that you no longer can't do. Because the Spirit is just like testifying. It's just like, man, I thought that I can just kind of hang out and not kind of, you know, be about the Lord's business. But every time I just feel like there's something missing. And it's, it's the Spirit because the Spirit loves to be in fellowship with his people. And so, how how do we know? And he says, listen, this is how in him, verse 13, we see you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believe the Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. So what he's saying right here is that from the time you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. At that point in time, you are then baptized in Christ and raised into the newness of life. What we do when we baptize, every, when we do baptize, what we do is this an outward expression and confession of what internally has taken place. That we are saying that I, no longer I that lives, but it's the Christ that lives in me, right? And that we, that we are now, we find our identity in him. And the promise that we know that that has happened and the promise that we know that he's going to fulfill his promises is that he gives us the spirit of God that he told his disciples when he said, hey, I must go. And they were like, what's going on? He says, but when I go, I'm going to send you another. He will comfort you. He will counsel you. He will talk about, um, talk about me. He loves to encourage you. He's going to the word um, Holy Spirit. Basically, he will come alongside you. He will be a comforter to you. And the Spirit of God cries out, Abba, Father. He authenticates you. He gives you a new want to, a new desire for you. You see, you got to understand is that when you were born again, when you were born into God's family, you were born into a rich family. And in that, you begin to see an inheritance. But part of that inheritance is not about the gold and streets and the, the mansions. The inheritance is God's presence. So, with God's presence, he says, Let me give you a little taste of my presence. And he imparts, gives you the spirit of God. And as we now dwell, the Spirit of God, we become the temple of God. And this is like a down payment. I don't know if they still do it, but y'all remember layaway? Do they still do layaway now? A couple places, a couple places. But the layaway process would be like right before you would go and you would gather all this stuff that you would want or that you would get. And then you would go and you would put down a certain percentage. On that right there. And that percentage would let me know or let the store know that, hey, this is mine. Right. And I'm going to go away. I'm going to come back and I'm going to finish the payment. Now, we recognize that the layaway process was only as good as the person who put the down payment down. There were some people <laughs> who didn't get their money back and never got that product. You see, it was only as good as the character. It's what God is saying through here is that the Holy Spirit, he seals us. He first puts this down payment on us. And then he goes, he says, but I'm coming back. And we trust the God, the Holy Spirit, that he is going to make promise or make due to what he promised, that he will return. Right? And so what, is, what he does is that he says he's that in order to show that I promise to return, he uses an insignia that we see that in the Old Testament that we see is a seal. And that seal would be a thing that was like it was the mark of the, the, the value. And that seal was worth whatever the value of the person who sealed. And he says, I am sealing it with the Holy Spirit to let you know. And then in that, this, that sealing of the Holy Spirit, that presence of the Holy Spirit is my guarantee that I will finish the work that I've started in you. You see, Paul starts this off and he says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places for those that are in Christ in which God the Father chooses us to adopt us. God the Son redeems us to unite us. And God, the Holy Spirit, seals us and guarantees us that he does this. And he goes through all of that so that we may understand, that we may embrace, that we have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That if we are in him, we are a people of hope. And so in these next five minutes, basically, I want to give you five things Five things. These five things are just here because I'm not going to go deep in them now because these five things that we're going to see throughout the book, because I really believe Paul, what he was doing in in the first um, in verses 1 through 14 is that he creates this run-on sentence and this passionate statement, and he's framing the whole book that he's just going to unpack for us throughout the rest of this time of letting us know what does it look like to be in him, all right? And so here's five ways for us to cultivate our hope in Christ's workmanship. Five ways for us to cultivate our hope in Christ's workmanship. Number one, we have to rest in the peace of God. We have to rest in the peace of God. Why do we rest in the peace of God? Because we recognize we are able to rest in the peace of God as an outworking of the blessing of God. When we know that we're blessed, we don't have to strive for blessing. Paul says, I am controlled. I am compelled by the love of God. We work out of our blessings. We don't work for our blessing. Number two, it talks about regard yourself as a prisoner of God. You're going to see this over and over and over again throughout, Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord. What I love about this passage is that if you looked at the very first verses of, this, of, of chapter 1, he says, to those who are faithful. Paul is writing to those who have already made the conscious decision, I'm your prisoner, God. I'm your doulos. I'm your bondservant. It's hard. I don't get it. I don't understand it all, but I'm in. I'm all in, God. So we regard ourselves as a prisoner of God. Why? Because this is the way we respond to God. We respond to God as prisoners. And so just again, as you go through, just keep listening to a prisoner as a prisoner, as a prisoner of the Lord. Like Paul just talks about, he's writing this to the faithful. Number three, we got to respond in praise to God as a way to remember that he's God. What do I mean? What I didn't go over in these first three blessings and in three parts, There were three praises. Just go back and read verse 6. To the praise of his glory that he lavished on us, the beloved one. So God the Father chooses us and adopts us to adopt us. Why? So he basically says praise him for his glorious grace. God the Son redeems us to unite us. And he says, verse 12, so that we who already put our hope in Christ might praise him to his glory. That God, the Holy Spirit seals us, or seals us to guarantee us. Why? To the praise of His glory. He says, "Be worship leaders, be praise leaders, sing your hallelujah." To remind yourself that we sing our praises as a way to remember that He is God. And then He tells us in verse four—I'm not verse four—the fourth point, fourth way is to remember to pray to God. Remember to pray to God as a way to cultivate your faith in God. In this book, there's two, I believe, spontaneous prayers. Two spontaneous prayers in this book. Paul says, man, you don't get it. I want you to get it. I want you to understand the, the, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and that he's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how he's lavished all these things. He says, Listen, I just pray that God would just strengthen, like I just pray that God would reveal and give you wisdom and revelation. Then he goes, he says, because you were dead in your transgressions, that, but you've been made alive in Christ, that he has made us his workmanship, and that he's torn down the dividing wall between God and man, and between us and one other. But in him, there's neither no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. And he just goes through and he's just kind of, I just see like Paul just like just going because he's just passionate about this whole book. And, and like he's just talking fast like I'm talking now. He's just like, like, God, I just want to get it out. I just want to get it out. And then he goes all the way. He says, because we are his manifold wisdom that the church, we're his manifold wisdom. And then in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, listen, I just pray that they, for the strength. That he's just like, when, when he's tired of just words, that words can't put it in, words can't explain, that you can't get how rich you are in Christ. He just says, let me just pray for you, church. So we got sometimes, we just got to remember to pray to God as a way to cultivate our faith in God. And then finally, we got to regularly commune with God as a way to fellowship with him. We got to regularly commune with God. And so what we're going to do right now is that we're going to take communion. We're going to spend, we just spent 12 weeks from January through March, Is talking about cultivating the spiritual disciplines. We said that spiritual disciplines are not a sign of strength. They're more of an admission of weakness. And the reason why we discipline ourselves, the reason why we do things like this is that we are to be reminded that we are weak. And that oftentimes, instead of living within the wealth and the richness what we have, we too, much, too many times live like garbage Mary when we have access to all these riches. And so what I want us to do is I want us to pass out the elements. And as we pass out the elements, I want us to, to reflect. I want us to reflect on the riches of God. I want us to be reminded that God has poured out every spiritual blessing. I want us to think about God the Father who chooses us to adopt us. I want us to think about God the Son who cornered the market for us. Right, in order to unite us with him. I want us to think about God, the Holy Spirit, who seals us. So instead of trying to push the Holy Spirit down and that conviction down, like we want him to live. He, we want him to be, want us to be reminded that he is a good God that has poured out every spiritual blessing for us, that this is not a message about striving. This is a message about Abiding. This is a message about being in him and recognizing all the resources that we have in him. So my question is, is the same question that I believe that many pastors were asking, do you really believe? That's the same question that I believe that Paul is asking, do you really believe that in Christ we have have what we need? Do you believe? So let's just take some time as the music's playing. And let's just reflect on all the riches that God has lavished on us for those that are in Christ Jesus. And if you are not in the body of Christ, if you would not say that you are in him, I just want to leave the altar open. Now, this is the time right now that we'll leave the altar open. If you want to come down and you want to give your life to the the Lord, that it's no more time to, to fake no more time to keep pulling up ourselves by the bootstraps. And we can just say, Lord, I'm tired. I want to be in you. We want to transfer our trust and put our faith in Jesus. So let's just spend this time that if you are a believer, that you will reflect on those things. And if you are not a believer in here, that you would come down to the altar and we will pray for you and what it looks like to be in him. So we're going to take a couple of minutes.